Good morning. My name is David, and it's my privilege to uh, bring the message this morning. Over the last four weeks, we've been challenged with various aspects of God's uncomfortable wisdom from the letter of James. In week one, you'll remember that Carolyn encourages us to be more ready to listen to others than to make our own voice heard and to be careful of the way we use God's gift of speech. And then we were challenged by Pastor Cat to examine ourselves and to recognise in ourselves the subconscious prejudices that can create hurtful barriers between ourselves and others. By Philip, we were reminded of the need to put into practice what we say that we believe, live our lives in ways that make a practical difference to benefit others. And last week, Pastor Andy urged us to seek God's wisdom and challenged us to face up to the differences between God's wisdom and so much of what passes for wisdom according to the prevailing values of the culture we live in. And this week, in the final in the series, we look at the the verses from James chapter 5 that were read to us by Dorothy. And I invite you, uh, they're about prayer, of course, and I invite you to pray with me as we consider what James has to say about prayer. Thank you, Lord, for these words about prayer written by your servant James, but we believe inspired by your Holy Spirit. And we believe you have things you want to say to us this morning. Please give me the right words and give each one of us hearts to hear and to understand. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, there was a, there was a ship uh, caught in a storm at sea. And as the storm raged, the captain realised the ship was sinking fast. He called out, anyone here know how to pray? A keen young Christian stepped forward. Oh, yes, Captain, I know how to pray. Good, said the Captain. You pray while the rest of us put on our life jackets. We're one short. (laughs) I'm sure that prayer is important for all of us, but hopefully never in that way. Um, Now, today's passage raises some curly questions, doesn't it? If anyone is sick... Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. I believe God heals. And I know people who have been healed, prayed for and healed. But I also know too well that it doesn't always happen like that. I've prayed for people, some dear friends, perhaps you have too, and they haven't been healed. So how are we to understand what James is saying? James writes in verse 15 that the prayer offered in faith will make a person well. So does that mean that if someone isn't healed, it's because they don't have enough faith? He talks about confessing our sins so we can be healed. Does that mean if you're not healed, it's because of unconfessed sin? And then what's that business with the oil? Who are the elders? Why bring Elijah into it? And what's the connection with bringing back someone wandering from the truth in those last two verses? Now, I'm not a Bible scholar, and I'm very grateful to Pastor Cat 
for some really helpful resources. I've learned a lot in preparing for this, and I'm quite excited to share it with you. But actually, there's so much in these verses in so few minutes that I really can't do justice to it. But if you'd like to know more about the resources I've been looking at, please talk to me afterwards or contact me in the week. But first, I'd like to unpack the passage to try and better understand what James is saying about prayer for healing. And then I'd like to consider any implications for us. What might God be saying to us at BMBC about prayer? So let's look at what James is saying. James wrote in Greek, and I don't know any Greek. You could say it's all Greek to me. But I found Pastor Katz's resources very helpful. A lot of what I'm going to say is from a paper by the Reverend Dr. Keith Warrington, who's on the staff at Regents Theological College in England. Greek has a number of different words. Now, look, look, I'm, I'm embarrassed because there's probably people out there who know a lot more Greek than I do. Um, but anyway, this is my offering. Uh, Greek has a number of different words that could be translated into English to mean sick and healed and make well. And Dr. Warrington has done a study of these the words that James uses in our passage, and he concludes that the words that James uses convey a much wider meaning than just simply healing from physical illness. They can mean they can mean this, but they can also imply relief for those who feel weak and marginalized by all sorts of suffering, discouragement, lack of strength that could be emotional, economic or spiritual or a sense of rejection, powerlessness, anxiety, fear, or sin, and so on. So these verses could be more accurately translated, and this is mine, not his. Uh, if any of you are sick with a physical or mental illness, or feeling discouraged, rejected, emotionally weary, anxious or fearful, call the elders of the church to pray for you. And similarly, the words that he uses to, for raise up and heal and make well can be used for physical healing, but they can also be used for spiritual encouragement, restoring relationships and even the forgiveness of sin. So I think James is encouraging his readers certainly to pray for healing, but also to pray for anyone who's struggling or facing challenges of whatever kind. And what about the connection between sickness and James' talk of sin and confession? Well, look, in the Old Testament, it was generally believed that there was a connection between sin and sickness. However, Jesus clearly refutes this in a number of places, such as when the disciples ask the man who was born blind, whose sin caused this man to be born blind? In John 9, and Jesus replied, it was not that this man sinned or his parents. And actually, when we read the words in English, James certainly doesn't make any suggestion that sickness is a result of sin because he says, if he has committed any sin, he will be forgiven. But surely James is just trying to refocus focus his readers and us back to God's priority, which is our wholeness. The Christian message is that God knows and cares for each one of us. And certainly he hears and he answers prayer for healing and relieves us from troubles. But the reality is that in this world there will always be trouble. 
However, the message of the Bible is that God's overarching priority is and always has been that each of us would have a relationship with him which can start now and then reach into eternity. And it begins, doesn't it, with our repentance and forgiveness of sin. So James is reminding his readers and us, God will heal. But don't forget, even more importantly, through the blood of Jesus, he has forgiven and he will continue to forgive you and me for all the many ways that we fail to live up to his standards. So the first point to highlight about prayer from these verses in James, God wants to bring wants us to bring all our needs to him, whether it's for healing or for other challenges we face, but he's even more committed to healing and forgiving sin and bringing us wholeness and new life. So God wants to bring healing and wholeness, but his number one, number one priority is actually wholeness and new life. So what's the oil? Well, Dr. Warrington suggests that oil was firstly considered to possess healing qualities. And then in the Old Testament, it represented the spirit of God, such as, and as such was used to anoint kings and priests. It was a symbol of God's power and wisdom. It was also a symbol of purity and restoration and was used to anoint lepers when they'd been healed and declared clean by the priest. Another article I read suggests that the oil was, is, is soothing to someone who's unwell. And simply the rubbing by a human hand is comforting, rather like a supportive hand on a shoulder in our culture. So there's nothing magic about the oil. It's not understood as some special holy oil. It's just ordinary household olive oil. It's a, but it's a symbol of healing and relief from any kind of trouble and distress. And it's soothing and it's a symbol of God's power. So what about the place of faith? Jesus makes it quite clear that faith has an important place in answered prayer. He said to one person, your faith has made you well. And yet there's the case of the father of the sick boy who said to Jesus, I do believe, help me to overcome my unbelief. He's aware that he doesn't have much faith, but his son is healed. Again, I found Dr. Warrington very helpful. He suggests there's two aspects to what James describes as praying in faith. Firstly, to pray in faith is to have faith in who God is. To trust that God is totally in control, that he is able to heal, and that he will always be true to his promises and his character and his purposes. But it's not faith that God will always do what I ask. After all, he is God. And it's not for us to tell God what to do. And then the second aspect is that to pray in faith is to pray in accordance with God's will. Now that's a curly one too, isn't it? Now, that being the case, an important part of prayer is seeking to know the will of God so that we can pray accordingly. Now, I don't know about you, but that's the bit I really struggle with. Do I have any friends? (laughs) Well, we're not alone. And it's so encouraging to realise that no lesser man than 
the Apostle Paul also struggled with this. And he writes in Romans, presumably talking about himself, we do not know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. So often we don't know what the will of God is, and we don't know how to pray. But the promise is that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us, and we can be sure that this is in accordance with the will of God. Now, that's all very well to say, but how does that work in practice, in real life? Now, I think that Paul gives us a practical insight into this through his own prayer for healing. He writes in 2 Corinthians in that, um, about his thorn in the flesh. And we don't know what it was. Perhaps it was a physical illness, but even if it wasn't, it was certainly something that really troubled him, made him feel weak and discouraged. Something in line with the prayer needs that James has been writing about. And Paul tells us that he prayed. In fact, he pleaded with God three times to take it away. And the answer was, well, not what he hoped for or expected. So then what happened? Well, all we're told is that God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul seems to have come to a peace about it. And more than that, he proclaims boldly, therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. For Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, hardships, persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So what happened? Well, I don't know, but I wonder if somehow in and through his praying, he, w- he was able to discern God's will in the matter that he was praying about. He didn't get the answer he wanted, but he did discover the will of God. And with that came an immense sense of peace and strength to cope and a greater understanding of God's power. I haven't got time to ex- now to expand, but I think Jesus also gives us an example of this kind of prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. Before his arrest and crucifixion, he prayed also three times. He didn't get the answer that he was at first praying for. But as he prayed, he became stronger in his conviction of what he knew was God's will for him. He got a sense of peace. And at the end of the third time, he gets up and he says, let's go. The time has come. So an important part of prayer is seeking to know the will of God in order to pray appropriately. But, Dr. Warrington is quick to say, and I'm pleased to hear, that even if we're not certain that healing or restoration will occur, will occur for the person we're praying for, we still pray. Because the role of the person who prays is to present the sufferer before God, trusting that God is in control and will bring the outcome that accords with his purposes. So to pray in faith is to have faith in who God is, not that he will always do what we ask. And it's also to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit as we ask him to show us how to pray. So that's the second point to highlight about prayer from James. To pray in faith involves faith in who God is and involves being sensitive to the Holy Spirit to show us how to pray. To recap, God wants to bring both healing and wholeness, 
but his priority is the wholeness. And the prayer of faith involves faith in God who is. And we need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. But one thing that is absolutely certain is that if prayer for healing or for anything else is not answered in the way we anticipate, it most certainly is not because of a lack of faith by the one who prayed or by the one who prays. So the one who's prayed for or by the one who prays. Well then, who is to pray? Well, James, in verse 16, instructs his readers to pray for one another. So we understand that it's not something for particular special members of the family, but it's church family, but it's a responsibility for all of us as Christians. But, and we should be encouraged by this at, at BNBC because we do have a wonderful team of people who receive email prayer requests and pray faithfully for others. And it's very encouraging that so many of you, our church family, are willing to share your needs and the needs of, needs of others that you know so that we can pray for you. And I assure you that all prayer requests are treated in confidence. We've seen some wonderful answers to prayer. This week you'll have seen in the newsletter that baby Elsie, whom we've been praying for, was well enough to go home from hospital. And that was a miracle. That is a miracle. There have been many other wonderful answers to prayer. But there is a place for James, what James calls to call the elders. Um, when there's a pressing need, for prayer, such as for healing or serious illness or other burdens that we've considered. Now, who are these? Well, we might consider that they assume that they're the official leaders of the church. However, James was writing to Jewish Christians who had been scattered in small groups all over the known world because of persecution. And one article I read suggested that at this early stage among them, there was not any formal church leadership established. So Dr. Warrington suggests that the significance of the elders is not that they were necessarily had an official leadership position, but they're simply mature Christians, respected for their wisdom and experience, people trusted by the community to discern the will of God. Time's pressing on, but quickly, Elijah, well, I don't know why he's mentioned, but perhaps it was because he was prepared to play so boldly, initially, for no rain, Quite something, really. A bit exposed if it doesn't get answered. And then he displayed such patience and endurance, waiting, no doubt, under immense political pressure through three years of drought before he finally prayed for rain. And then Dr. Warrington suggests that, of course, he's also an example of where his prayers were directly in obedience to the revealed will of God because he had instructions from God. So he's an example of seeking to know God's will and then praying in accordance with it, even when great courage and endurance is required. So third, the third point, we all have a role and a responsibility to pray for one another. We're encouraged by James to pray boldly, courageously and under pressure. But there is a role for particularly mature Christians in some instances of uh, particularly serious challenges to be prayed for. So God wants to bring both healing and wholeness, but his priority is wholeness. Prayer of faith involves faith in God who is, in who God is, involves being sensitive to the Holy Spirit. 
and we all have a role and responsibility to pray for one another and to pray boldly. So what's God saying to us at BNBC? Well, how should we pray for one another? With sensitivity. Sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. And that's important whenever we pray, whether it's for healing or for anything else, and expect that the Holy Spirit will guide us in our praying. Sensitivity to the person we're praying for. Listen to their story. Ask them, how would you like me to pray for you? Jesus modelled this and he asked some, of the, some people he met, what would you like me to do for you? We could ask, what would you like God to do for you when we pray? And sensitive to others who are also praying because another, when another person prays, the Holy Spirit might use that person's prayer to prompt you to pray or to prompt you with a new insight. Should we pray for healing? Yes, we're instructed to. But we do need sensitivity. People in Jesus' day were healed. People today are healed. But we know that not everyone who is prayed for is healed. And let's face it. When people are healed, one day they're going to get sick again. And one day all our bodies are going to die. And as far as I know, the death rate is still 100%. But scripture tells us the answer to all our sickness and pain and trouble is on the other side of the grave. James reminds us that Jesus' priority is not healing us, but relieving, and not, not even relieving us from our troubles, but meeting us in them. And that right now we can have a relationship with God that will last into eternity. And that relationship begins when we experience his love and forgiveness through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And when we talk with someone who'd like prayer for healing, Perhaps it would be good to follow James' example and lead the conversation towards these things before we pray. Should we call the elders? Well, yes, James instructs us to. But understand that this doesn't necessarily mean the pastor or those with official leadership role. Just two or three is enough. Experienced Christians that we trust to be able to discern the will of God in prayer. Should we anoint with oil? Well, as long as we recognise that there's nothing magic about the oil, to be anointed with oil is biblical. It can be soothing and encouraging, especially when it's prayed for, surrounded by caring Christian friends. And isn't a small group or a life group a wonderful setting for these kind of prayers? And lastly, James, all that James says about prayer assumes that people are meeting together because they didn't have any options, other options in those days. At BNBC, there's a lot to be encouraged about in our praying. But in meeting together for prayer, I don't think we're so good. And my question to myself and to you, and I don't have any answers, is but what can we do to encourage and facilitate this more? Because I believe there is great value when Christians meet together to pray. There can be mutual encouragement. Remember that although Jesus is recorded on many occasions going off by himself to pray, when he was in great distress, he took his companions with him to the garden to pray. And when we meet together to pray, it's good sometimes to have supportive companions. 
And the Holy Spirit can often use the prayers of one person to prompt the prayers of another and to bring, to, and bring greater discernment to the group as a whole. So let me finish with a summary of the words of James. If anyone is in trouble, pray. If things are going well, rejoice, which is pray, but with happiness. Right? Um, if anybody's sick, pray. So think about the real estate agent. and They're always telling you, location, location, location. Well, James is telling us, pray, pray, pray. Now, having said that, um, if anyone would like prayer for healing or relief of troubles, perhaps with anointing with oil, please speak to me or to Pastor Cat afterwards because we'd be only too pleased to arrange this. And as always, if anyone would like prayer for anything at all, there will always be someone here at the front of the service to pray with you at the end. Let's commit that to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we just thank you. We have a, such a wonderful privilege to be able to speak to you in prayer. We can do that individually. We can do that corporately. And we can bring the needs, our own needs and the needs of our brothers and sisters and lay them at your feet. Father, we thank you for this precious gift of prayer. And we ask that you would encourage us to use it more boldly, more courageously, and more enduringly. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.